Welcome on in, Eagles fans, to the No Huddle Show, a special weekly reaction No Huddle Show, a hot take No Huddle Show, your hot takes, after what was really probably one of the greatest wins the Eagles have had uh, in a long time. 27-24 over the Giants on Sunday at Lincoln Financial Field, the home opener. The Eagles moved to 2-1. and one. The game felt like it was three different games in one. I'm Joe Giglio alongside Elliot Shore Parks, Matt Lombardo. You guys were there covering it for NJ Advanced Media. Elliot, we'll start with you. I know you guys reacted Sunday in an episode, but now we have some, you know, listener feedback and we'll get to all that. But just, I mean, that game on Sunday, when you were watching it live, I mean, did you feel the ebbs and flows uh, of kind of the the momentum swings, the way it came through to me watching uh, Buck and Aikman call it? I mean, it just was, it was a wild day. Yeah, the way you said it felt like three games, I think is completely accurate because they dominated the Giants for most of this game. I mean, when they went up 14 nothing, I started writing my column saying this is the best team in the NFC and it isn't even close. They won the game and I still feel that way. But from 14 nothing to that Jake Elliott field goal, I mean, it was, it was a roller coaster. And I think there were certainly some positives to take away. Um, I think when you look at Wentz, his ending of the game was much better than the beginning. And so you kind of weigh which do you which do you like more, the, the inaccuracy for most of the game or the fact that he stepped up when it counts. Um, the defense, uh, obviously, the more I watch the game and I've watched it three times now, I think it was just fatigue. So I think overall, and I, I look forward to talking about Doug and Alshon and that type of and, you know, those guys. But I think overall, you feel good about this game. It wasn't pretty, but. You know, I think one thing I underestimated and you guys talked about was they were facing a desperate, a, a desperate Giants team. So to get that win at home when you don't play your best football, I thought it was mostly encouraging. Yeah, it, that was the most impressive part to me, Matt. I mean, you and I saw it the same way in a way last week with the Giants. They're going to be desperate. They had talent, even though they weren't playing well and still aren't playing well. It was going to be a chore and eventually became that chore for the Eagles. But Matt, that's a game the 2016 Eagles just, they simply won't win that game. They wouldn't have won that game. They would have either lost it or went to overtime or it just wouldn't have worked out that way. They won a close game that I think last year just would have went the other way. Yeah, Joe, I totally agree. And a lot of that falls on the shoulders of Carson Wentz. And I wrote about this on the site and did a, a post-game video analysis after the game that last year they were 1-7. Carson Wentz was 1-7 in one-score games. And Sunday, in a lot of ways, I think was a coming-of-age moment for Carson Wentz. And it was a defining moment in the you know infancy stages of his career because for the first time, he orchestrated a fourth-quarter comeback drive, and he did it twice. He did it on, on the, the drive to tie the game and then he did it again with ice water in his veins with a tie score under a minute to play and made one of the more difficult throws you're going to see on that completion between two defenders to Alshon Jeffrey with one second on the clock that set up that heroic Jake Elliott field goal and and Joe I really think that you summed it up perfectly and Elliott said it as well that the Eagles started fast the defense did its job and survived some really questionable Doug Peterson decisions, particularly on fourth down, but then they got away from the running game that was working so well early in the third quarter. Then the defense got a little bit leaky, which you kind of expected to happen when you're starting Chris Maragos at safety. But at the end of the day, this was the moment that Carson Wentz, at least in my opinion, became a franchise quarterback because in a division game at home tie ball game with the momentum kind of shifting in the Giants direction, he led them down for a game winning field goal. So I give a lot of credit to Carson Wentz and I give a lot of credit to that defense for doing enough to survive against arguably the most talented wide receiving core in football. 
Let's get into uh, Carson here a little bit, Elliot, and we'll get to all these reactions in just a few minutes. Hashtag the No Huddle Show. You could always tweet us uh, with your hot takes right after the game and the No Huddle Show at njadvancedmedia.com to send the emails and we'll get to the emails and the Twitter reaction. Elliot, you mentioned Carson Mattress, expounded on Carson. I, I really think that the combination of uh, obviously that play is practiced and they know the time it takes to make it happen, but to mm-hmm. execute it is is an extra level. I mean, that pass that Wentz made to Alshon, Alshon catching it, getting out of bounds, to even give Jake Elliott a chance at a at a crazy long field goal, that, that was just really impressive. I mean, that was a... It was a moment I didn't think the Eagles were ready to do yet. To execute that play in that moment, get out of bounds. Get, I just think then they were ready, and, and they they were. They did it. I think that that's really what impresses me most about Wentz. And when we talk about – it's crazy to think he's only 19 games into his uh, career. It feels like we've been talking about him forever. But when you talk about his future going forward and whether or not he'll be a successful quarterback, to me that play kind of captures everything that you want to see because – he just doesn't let things snowball on him. I mean, how many Eagles fans were sitting in that stadium? And I could feel feel it in there. I mean, they were waiting to boo this team and waiting for this to be a loss. I mean, how many times have they lost this game before? How many times have they had quarterbacks over the past four or five years that have let the game snowball and get away from him? That just doesn't happen to Wentz. I mean, you know, he played bad throughout most of the game. And then in the biggest moment, as you mentioned, seven seconds to go, He's not rattled. He makes the throw. And the fact that he does it quickly is impressive. But, I mean, that was a really tough throw, even if there was 30 seconds left on the clock. So he puts it perfectly right on Alshon. If if he puts that a little to the left or a little to the right, Alshon might have to reach, and he doesn't get out of bounds in time. It was a perfect throw. Uh, it was, I mean, it, it was a huge throw by Wentz. There's really no other way, no other way of getting around it. They don't, they don't win that game without that throw. Let's get into a little of the reaction here, and we could – Two, there's one. There's kind of two and one with uh, one of our emails here, and we'll start with the end. We'll come back to some of the criticism of Doug Peterson because uh, the question came in with both of these. Um, what was the reaction in the press box for both fourth and eight and the 61-yard field goal? Let's start with the end. Let's start with the play that won the game. Matt, your reaction it, when that when they lined up for the field goal, did you think there was any chance that was going in? I'll tell you, for me, I didn't. I mean, the kid missed a 30-yarder last week, and I, I just – I, I thought Doug made the right decision to give him a chance because most likely nothing's going to kill you there. I mean, they'll probably try to tackle Beckham if he catches it. I thought it was the right chance to try to go win the game, give the kid a chance, but I didn't think it was going in. Yeah, one word. And, and Elliot, I think you'll remember this. As he's going out there, I think I turned to you and I said, time to redeem yourself because Andy Reid iced him at the end of the first half last week. He missed the 30-yarder. He missed the 52-yarder in spite of the fact that he had plenty of leg earlier in the game against the Giants. And then he goes out, ice water in the veins, and and boots it. But by the slimmest of margins, by inches through that right upright and barely clears the crossbar. But a heck of a kick, heck of a moment for the kid. And I think that everybody in the press box was kind of taking that wait-and-see approach. I think there was a lot of tension. And then, of course, when he made the field goal, you heard the Eagles PR staff behind us, you know, hooting and hollering and going crazy and cheering and yelling. And, And it's just one of those moments where you feel great for the kid. And I'll go a step further, guys. In his post-game press conference, I asked him, you know, did you know you were going to have that shot? Did you know you were going to have that opportunity? And he said that he had no idea what the plan was in that spot. He had no idea what Doug Peterson and what Dave Fipp were thinking. But as soon as the Giants called timeout, or even before that, as soon as Alshon stepped out of bounds, he ran right over to Doug Peterson, right over to Dave Fipp, and said, give me the chance. Give me the shot. And it was on him 
He told them that he thinks he can make it from 61. Doug and Fit believed in him, and he went out and, and made the kick of his life, and in a lot of ways could be a springboard for the rest of this season for this team. It could be. Elliot, what was your reaction uh, when he went out there, and, and did you think there was a chance he was going to make that kick? Well, other than the panic of having to get my article posted all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, look, I think the the kick before was a more pressure-filled kick. When he had, yeah. I think it was 49 or 52 yards that he hit, right, uh, I mean, less than 30 or 40 seconds earlier, that was a pressure. call that more pressure than a, a game winner from 61. That, I mean, well, it was, I think it's way more pressure because one, you're losing at that point. So if he misses, the, the game is basically over. Two, it's a much more makeable field goal. No one expected him to make the 61 yarder. I mean, he might have thought he was going to make it, but had he, let's say he shanks that field goal and he misses, you know, falls five yards short or goes to the left. Nobody's sitting here today and saying they lost that game because he missed a 61 yard field goal. If he misses the one before when they're trailing, that would have been a second missed field goal of the game. I'm, I'm pretty sure when he went on the field goal before the 61 yarder, he was coming off of missing his previous field goal. So I think there was a ton more pressure in that situation. The 61 yarder. I mean, it's basically a hail Mary attempt. No one kills a team for not making a hail Mary. That being said, obviously it was extremely impressive kick. I mean, you know, I think we talk about people that were at the game, saw it and you've been to a game, you've seen it, but 61 yards sounds far when you see it. It's like considerably further than you think. I mean, the fact that, you know, and then obviously you have to you have to have accuracy and all that. It was a huge kick. I just think the one before it was was had more pressure on it. I think only seven kickers in the history of the sport have kicked the field goal longer. But that's that is a far field goal. And a few of those have been in Denver or in domes. I mean, in the middle of Philadelphia on a hot day. I mean, that's that's one of the more impressive kicks we'll probably ever see, which is crazy because Jake Elliott wasn't on the Eagles um, just, you know, just two weeks ago. All right, let's move to the other question in this question uh, from our email. What was the reaction in the press box? Matt, we'll start with you because I think I already get a sense of your opinion on this. Then we'll go to Elliot. Yeah, I'm um, looking forward to this one. I am too because I think this springboard's a, a Doug debate and we got a lot of Doug tweets and reaction as we always do. I mean, Doug's, it's amazing. Doug Peterson hasn't come across as a polarizing guy, but he is. Uh, fourth and eight, Matt. First half, I believe 2.36 to go. Eagles have the ball on the Giants 43. Doug Peterson decides to go for it. We know it did not work, and the Giants get the ball back. Before you give me your opinion on what he did, what was the reaction in the press box? Well, I think it was kind of split, Joe. I mean, I'll save my reaction, but I think it was split between some of your veteran, older, crusty sports writers who have covered the sport for 20 to 30 years than some guys that are just coming up on the beat. The older veteran writers were thinking, you know, what are you doing here? Why would you even line up for this? This is stupid. This is ridiculous. And some of the younger guys were saying, you know what, what the heck? Give it a shot. The math says X, you know, give it an opportunity. The Giants, you have a chance to you know, stomp on their throats at the first half by running down the clock. I, I, I don't know about you, Elliot, but I got the sense that there was some debate and almost like a class separation between us up there over this call. Well, I, I didn't pick up on that, but I, I thought the reaction was basically unanimous and that no one thought they should go for it. Um, Somebody I, sits to your left who thought a little bit differently. Jimmy? I thought Jimmy didn't like the call. Jimmy Kemsky we're talking about. Yeah, I think, I think he, he was on board, and I think he wrote about being on board. The, well, yeah, the, now, but he's talking about the initial reaction. Yeah, initial, I, I, yeah, I tend to remember him thinking that it wasn't that big a deal, but may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe well, I, I mean, uh, Regardless, regardless, I, I do think that there was certainly a, a lot of people in there 
that were that questioned the call, um, especially because I mean where you're where you're doing it from and all that. But outside of the initial reaction, I think now I think you can. My take on on it is this, and I'm one. I'm surprised we're still talking about this call. But two, it was a bad call. He shouldn't have gone for it. Yep. That being said, it's not a big deal. They won the game. They the Giants didn't score points on the ensuing drive after they didn't make it. He went for it on the on the Giants' 43 yard in the first half. It wasn't like this was you know, on his own 45 with eight minutes to go in the game. There were so many plays after that game. Yeah, it's a bad call. I agree. He shouldn't have gone for it. I understand that the numbers say that you that you have a chance of making it. I mean, I think it's 33% success rate. If you miss it or if you decide to punt the ball, I mean, you're basically, we're, t- we're arguing over 20 yards of field position. Well, here, here's, here's the thing. If Sterling Shepard doesn't drop that touchdown in the corner of the end zone, or if the NFL rule about catching a football is slightly different, that's a tie football game, and the Giants get the ball back at the end of the first half. If the Eagles' defense doesn't make a stop at the one-inch line, we're talking about a tie football game and the Giants getting the ball back. And I went back and watched the game, and I thought one of the biggest moments of the entire game, forget the field goal, forget the Wentz drives, one of the biggest moments was when the Eagles' defense held the Giants to three and out to start the second half leading 7 nothing. If that's 7-7, seven, seven, I think it changes the complexion of the game and maybe Doug goes away from the running game that had been working. Maybe it changes his play calling. I just really don't like the, the thought of giving the Giants an opportunity to have a 14-point swing because of where you are time of the game and because of the fact that it is such a desperate football game because of your secondary being so banged up against that wide receiving core. And listen, we're not talking about some Harry High School punter or some rookie punter. Donnie Jones is one of the best in the business of burying teams deep inside the five-yard line. I'm taking my chances. I'm punting there. I'm making the Giants drive 95, 98 yards, 90 yards. To, to score a touchdown rather than essentially handing them the ball at midfield. And and look, Ben McAdoo, we can debate his play calling on kicking a field goal there or not. But if the Giants score there, I think it turns the entire complexion of the game upside down. Yeah, but, it probably but, does. But, yeah, but, but, but they didn't score. And the Eagles right, still but that, won the that, game. But, but, but that doesn't change the impact of his decision. It doesn't All right, well, change. I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, it was a bad decision. I wouldn't have gone for it. I agree. But my point is, Doug did so much else good in that game that the fact that fans are still fixated on this is just amazing to me. I mean, you want to talk about bad fourth down decisions. Ben McAdoo's season was on the line. They had the ball twice inside of the 15-yard line. Twice they went for it on fourth down, and they ended up missing both. In a three in a game that they lost by three points, he left six points on the board. He made far more terrible coaching decisions than Doug Peterson did. Doug yeah, Peterson, but, had- but 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 that Doug Pe- Doug Peterson comparing him to Ben McAdoo. Uh, look, I mean, well, if, if you're the Eagles, the you're going to want him to be a significantly better coach than what Ben McAdoo okay, was. But how many people right? before the season would have said? Doug Peterson's a better head coach than Ben McAdoo. Not many, and it, he is. Uh, here, I want to interject. Well, no, wait, I, well, let me say one thing. So, that, so that's my point. So, it, and sorry to keep interrupting you, Joe, but but my my point is basically this: like, you can say it's a bad call, but even if let's just say the Giants even do score on, let's say they go for it on fourth and eight, right? They miss it. First of all, Wentz is to blame for that play. I mean, Wentz takes yep. a he should have threw it back, away. Sure, right, which makes it worse. And then also he had—I don't know if Legarrette Blunt would have converted, but he did have Legarrette Blunt open in the middle. And then he also had Nelson Aguilar open past the first yard, <clears throat> past the first down marker. So Wentz was bad in the play. But let's just say the let's just say the Giants do score 
after that. Let's say they miss it on fourth and eight, and the next play, Eli hits Odell Beckham Jr. for fifth for uh, whatever it would have been a you know fifty-one yard touchdown pass down the middle. There's still an entire half of football to be played there. And the this, Giants get the ball to start the half. Well, I, you you give that you give them the opportunity to have a 14 point swing. The Eagles weren't up 14 to nothing. It was a seven nothing football game. It was, but I, I think we're the there's first a couple half. points I think that are being missed, and that everyone, not just you guys. Uh, I thought it was a fine call. I didn't love it. It wasn't like I was like, yeah, Doug Peters, that's the greatest call I ever saw. But I I, I didn't hate it um, for a couple of reasons. One. It was 2.36 left, and they had two timeouts to the Giants. There is a chance, and we saw it on the first, what, the, the, the beginning of the game, that the Eagles botched the touchback. Like, there's not a guarantee. And, Matt, I know you're right on Donnie Jones being good at it, but we might have been talking about a 23-yard gamble. 23 yards. If Wentz hits blunt, because we're using a lot of hypotheticals here, and he doesn't get the first down, maybe we're talking about a 17-yard right. gamble? Right. That, that's but but all. see, here's here's the bigger picture. The bigger okay. picture here is he got away with it against a, a Giants offense that has struggled historically to move the football. And, yeah. and in his mind, he's rationalizing the decision that because the Eagles defense held the Giants out of the end zone, that it was the right call. Is it going to be the right call against the uh, the Cowboys? Is it going to be the right call well, against Philip Rivers like, next wait, week? What did context is important what, what did, here. Context is important. What, what the did the, the, Eagles had, the Eagles had an 18-play drive the drive before. They, that I believe the Wentz uh, pass that, or the sack was the 10th play of that drive. Like I don't care what the results were or if the Giants did or didn't score because I think that's unfair to the decision. The decision was coming in the moment they were running their 28th play of the last two drives. His offense was moving. Like They, right. were, they, they were moving. The Giants were tired at that point. 2.36 left and two timeouts for the Giants. If there were 15 seconds left, Matt, I'd say it's a ridiculous decision because, you know, you're basically— Well, no, that, then, it's a, then it's a fine decision because, because at that point you're not giving the Giants any time to move down the field. I don't know how time on the clock doesn't benefit the Giants. What, what, what am I missing there? Well, what well, right. is there's 2.36 and the Giants have two timeouts. If they get the ball at the 5, the 15, or the 20, they can very easily put together a drive. Like, time wasn't—you're not—it's not like you're— aiding their drive because you're, oh, wow, there's 2.36 left, pin them. Like, 2.36 in eternity. I'm saying if there's 40 seconds left, 20 seconds left, and Doug does that, well, you're basically handing them the chance at a field goal attempt versus punting and pinning because then there's not enough time to move the ball down the field. Uh, Elliot, mostly I'm with you. Forget if it's the right call or not in the math and 33%. I can't believe the reaction to this. Like, Well, this is, this is my thing too, right? Like, So it sounds like to a certain degree we all – are on the same page, he shouldn't have gone for it. Joe, you sound like you were a little more okay with the decision, but we all agree he shouldn't have gone with it. I wouldn't have done it, but I do appreciate it. Okay, so you you would have gone for it. You would have gone for it. I wouldn't have gone for it. to Doug being aggressive. You guys have noticed that. This is what he does. Well, that's my point. So we all agree he shouldn't have gone for it. My my larger point is just – why does it matter? Like, it, like, all right, after they beat the Redskins in week one and he had that weird coaching se- uh, like series of events with the, at the two-minute warning where That's he sent That's no different off- than McAdoo sending the offense out to try and get the Giants, the Eagles to all jump off sides. I don't, I don't think that was weird at all. Okay, but, but, my, point is, but my point is that was with two minutes to go in a game that was, I think, at that point— a three or four point game, or maybe it was a two point game. Actually that my point was that was in a much more critical decision. And I agree. And I wrote after that Redskins game, Doug makes questionable decisions in games. I agree with that. But my point is when you look at Sunday on just, just Sunday on a larger scale, he coached a very good game. He went for it. He went for it on fourth down. I believe earlier in the game before that fourth and eight, when they scored on the, 
18 play drive. He went for that on fourth down. I thought that was the right decision. He leads to that. He, uh, that play leads to a touchdown. Earlier in the game, Ben McAdoo doesn't go for it on a fourth down. They punt. And so I, I thought he called a great game. I mean, at this in this podcast last, last week, we were talking about how Doug refuses to run the ball and how he's not committed to the ball, uh, to running the ball. What you saw against the Giants was Doug is willing to run the ball. Doug does want to run the ball. Doug is going to do what he feels is the best chance to move the ball. Against the Chiefs, their best chance of moving the ball was to throw it. Against the Giants, Doug knew going in they should run the ball, and they ran it 31 times with their running backs. I think they ended up with like 39 overall plays that Mm -hmm. were runs, 193 yards. He outcoached Ben McAdoo when Ben McAdoo badly needed that game, and we're and so this is my thing. Like, why are we still talking about this? Like, I don't get why people – well, let me let me restart. I understand why people are fixated on the fourth down play. but it, And the reason is is because people want to have Doug be a bad coach. Doug's not a bad coach. I'm not saying I don't saying think that's Doug, the case at all. I, I think it's, I, I it's, it's extrapolating this decision in this game that he justifies that he got away with the call because the Giants didn't score, which might, justifies him the next time in a tight game for going for it again against an offense that's more equipped to put the ball in the end zone when the math doesn't back up his decision to go for it in the first place. That, that, that to me, is the criticism. It's the not that does. he got away but from it. But the math does the math back does up his back decision. Up. Doug's Doug in the Eagles analytic department, which I would imagine spent a decent, well, probably more time than all three of us combined studying the math on this, felt that the math did justify it. Someone in his ear, and I forget the guy's name, he said it yesterday, said that the odd, that the, the smart decision here is to go for it. So then you can argue that at that point, Doug has to make the decision. All right, for the feel of everything, you know, all right, yeah, the math says it, but it's fourth and eight, so I don't really want to do it. You know, all the things you just mentioned, Matt, about being up seven nothing and all that. But the math did support the decision. It's Ryan Pagnetti. Uh, He's the the assistant linebacker coach. And I guess also. Assistant linebacker coach, yep. Right, also handles um, kind of these decisions and helping Doug on game day. I I think it's fascinating. just the debate around all this, but to go to Elliot's last point there, Matt, and because I wanted to touch on this, we had a, a tweet here, hashtag the no huddle show. I mean, I can't believe I read it, but it, it came in. Was Doug out coach today? And this came in, I think when Elliot, when you sent the tweet out, uh, or maybe it was you, Matt, after the show I was responding to you guys, um, was Doug out coach today? F- fourth and eight. That's part of the equation. Sure. We can debate that it's probably for no, not all podcasts, <laughs> but was he out coached? No, he out coached McAdoo. I, I loved the, the game plan Doug had. And I heard Doug on Monday uh, during his weekly appearance with Angelo Cataldi say part of the reason he kept running this week compared to other weeks is the Giants don't really rotate those defensive ends. And he thought in the heat they could wear down Vernon and JPP. And I, I think that worked. I didn't think about that during the game in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. when the run got revved up again, those defensive ends, which are both really good against the run, they weren't having, uh, you know, their usual effectiveness. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know where anybody can say that Doug was outcoached by McAdoo. The the only criticism I would make was the fourth and eight call, and there was a stretch as the Giants after the Zach Ertz fumble they went down and scored. As the Giants were kind of you know taking control of this game back and and tied the game and ultimately took the lead, there was a stretch from I believe it was six oh nine remaining in the third quarter until the middle of the fourth quarter where Garrett Blunt didn't have a touch yet he was averaging five and a half yards per carry and I. I think that the one criticism you can make of Doug on Sunday, and this is a criticism I've heard about McAdoo and his play calling, 
Doug sometimes might get too caught up in the play chart and the play calling decisions that maybe you lose sight of the personnel groupings that are working. That's the only criticism that I can make of Doug, but they survived and they won the football game and he exploited a matchup knowing that the Giants couldn't stop the run, factoring in the heat with the defensive line. So I don't know how you can say Doug was outcoached, but to, to call this a perfect game plan or to call this a game that they won because of Doug Peterson, I think you're giving him a little bit too much credit. I think there's some some middle ground to be found there. Well, but I think I mean, you know, I think you said it and a lot of other people did that he got away from LeGarrette Blunt and you know, he should have given Blunt the ball more more the ball more. Blunt had six carries in the first half, six carries in the second half. And when he gave Corey Clement, I think there was after you're right, it was after the Earth's fumble and the tu- and then the touchdown by the Giants on the ensuing drive Corey Clement carried the ball twice, and that was a moment where people were saying, and I said it too, this is just an interesting time to give it to Corey Clement and not LeGarrette Blunt. but Corey Clement ends up scoring on a 16-yard touchdown late in the drive, so I just think, like, again, and I'm not saying just you, Matt, but I just think people are nitpicking here, like, like, he, they just won a game. They're four and one in their last five games. They're two and one off of three games that we all agreed we thought were going to be very tough. I mean, I had them at one and two. I think Matt had them at zero oh and three, right? So I mean, everyone kind of thought they were going to struggle here, and we're talking about you know a series of eight offensive plays from somewhere in the third to the fourth about what running back personnel group he had out there. So I'm I'm not saying that on a large scale you can't look at these things and say one day it's going to it's going to cost them, but I just think overall Doug has proven to be a good coach over these first 3 games. Yeah, I think he's doing a good job. I mean, I think their offense still is limited because of what they could do. And now, and we'll get into this here, losing Sproles is not going to help. And they're performing at a level of a top 10 offense. I can't objectively look at them and say, yeah, they should be doing more than that. I think they're doing a pretty good job. All right, let's get to this email because it, it helps us get into the Sproles thing. Uh, Adam sent us an email here. The loss of Sproles could be looked at as an opportunity and not just a roster casualty. The Eagles need to find a lead back a la Westbrook and McCoy. The stop backs have been there for years. Can they find that guy? Is it Smallwood? Is it Clement? Um, can they move on through this season and then to the offseason uh, to make something of this running back group? Matt, first, your thought on the loss of Darren Sproles and then off of that, how they're going to get through this. Yeah, Joe, let's make no mistake about this. This is a two-pronged loss for the Eagles. Number one, you're losing your most dynamic running back and arguably your biggest offensive weapon. And two, Elliott can attest to this, certainly, that Darren Sproles is the most respected leader in that locker room. Players love Darren Sproles. He's immensely popular. But just from an on-field standpoint, I think now, guys, and, and let me know what you think about this, Elliot. I think now we're going to see that running back by committee we all anticipated at the start of the year. Week one, it was kind of the LeGarrette Blunt show. Week two, it was Darren Sproles who had the 10 carries and the five touches, and he was the focal point of the offense. Week three, it was a little bit of a backfield by committee. I think without Sproles, you're going to see more snaps from Corey Clement. You're going to see LeGarrette Blunt probably as your second down back. And I think you're going to start to see, thanks to great blitz pickup on Sunday, you're going to see more of Wendell Smallwood. So I think that we're going to get away from Doug featuring one of these backs in a matchup dependent game plan to it being a legitimate backfield by committee, unless they go out and they make a trade for somebody like Giovanni Bernard or sign Matt Forte. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably. Elliot, we I had a tweet that, here yeah, before you go sorry. on, just to to kind of springboard you. Um, Eagles Empire, uh, he tweeted us: Wendell should get more of a look. What he did versus last year versus Atlanta and Pittsburgh, and then Bill tweeted us with some of the numbers from uh, when Wendell gets a good amount of carries. 
when, you know, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, this past Sunday against the Giants, uh, that the Eagles tended to do well. Yeah, I think that's just because they run the ball well that day. I don't know how much – I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Smallwood, but the Eagles offensive line played great against the Giants, and the Giants don't have a good run defense. Um, the question will be, I mean, who do they put out there more? Sproles was their best running back. I think both as a, he, as a pass catcher, as a pure runner, I mean, obviously he's not a guy that you can give the ball to 300 times in a season, but I do think he was their most skilled running back. He was a big part of their third down offense, big part of their hurry-up offense. So it is a loss. Um, the question will be who gets those snaps. And, I mean, Smallman has a good chance of it, but the reason he might not is because he's not a good pass blocker. He's not good back there um, at picking up blitzes and protecting Wentz. He did a good job against the Giants, but I think he still has a lot to prove in that regard. I really do think you should, you could see Corey Clement um, get start to get a lot more carries. Uh, the, Eagles, the Eagles like him. I mean, I know there was a lot of debate in the preseason whether they should keep him or not. But, you know, he had the 16-yard touchdown. And at Wisconsin, I know he battled some injuries, but when he was healthy, he simply produced. I mean, this is a guy that has produced at a big-time college football program. And I think Matt would agree maybe the best division in college football with his nittanies in there. But, uh, you know, I I just think – Corey Clement ha- is possibly going to end up being the guy. LeGarrette Blunt will keep getting the ball more, but I agree it's going to be a, uh, a uh, running back by committee situation. You know, off of the running game, and Elliot, you just said it, that the, the blocking for the running game on Sunday was as good as we've seen it. I mean, last week, Doug said after the game they have to fix the run game. Uh, they make the change at left guard. Warmack starts that game, but he doesn't finish that game. And it, as it went on, Wisniewski was in there. And Matt, we got a tweet here saying that Wiz unlocked the offense as one of our reactions and our hot takes. I don't know if I could say, you know, Stephen Wisniewski unlocked the offense, but it looked pretty good when he was in there, especially the ground game. Yeah, Joe, this whole left guard rotation thing, that was one of the more puzzling aspects to come out of Sunday's game. They bench Isaac Sayamalo. He's no part of this plan at all in Sunday's game. Chance Warmack comes in, gives up two sacks on the first two drives of the game. They put him back in uh, in the third quarter. He misses a block on the first snap, which leads to LeGarrette Blunt being stopped behind the line of scrimmage. Just totally bizarre to me. But then when you watch Stefan Wisniewski, He's more consistent in pass protection. He was as good, if not better, than Chance Warmack in run blocking. And watching that tape back yesterday morning and watching the coaches film today, I'm really surprised that they even kept going back and forth. I would have thought that they saw enough from Wisniewski for him to be cemented as the left guard. And Doug yesterday in his day after press conference says that it's still going to be a rotation and Sayamalu is still in the mix there and yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. Stefan Wisniewski earned that job at left guard on Sunday. And I think that this offense is more balanced, more effective. And I, I think that there is something to be said for continuity with your five starting offensive linemen rather than rotating a guy in and out there. And I know that Jeff Stoutland gets his guys. He's very similar to Jim Schwartz in that way. Just look at how many former Buffalo Bills players have rotated through the personnel on this defense. Chance Warmack is one of Jeff Stoutland's guys, and he's going to find a way to shoehorn him in and play him. I just think that's the wrong decision. I think Wisniewski should start on Sunday and start at left guard moving forward. A couple more we'll get to here. Uh, Spencer tweeted in, can we have our week four buy back from last year? Hashtag the no huddle show. The amount of injuries they had and to still win, incredible. The injuries did pile up during the game, Ellie. We talked about Darren Sproles, and it's just, I mean, he's an irreplaceable player. We'll see how they get through the running back situation now without him. But they also, I mean, it felt like guys were dropping left and right. Jordan Hicks left the game. Fletcher Cox left the game, didn't come back. McLeod didn't play. 
None of those three seem very serious, but the Eagles are, they're limping a little bit now as, as they get ready for a trip out West. Yeah, I mean, I think Rodney, Rodney McLeod told me after the game that he will play against the Chargers. Jordan Hicks said he's he was fine, but I'll also say that Jordan Hicks told me he was fine two years ago after the game against the Cowboys and he had season end during shoulder surgery. So I don't think that's going to be the case with his ankle injury, but players sometimes always are not the best judge of whether they're going to be playing in a game or not. Um, there's been some reports, I believe one was from Philly.com saying Cox might not play against the Chargers, but either way you look at me, they're going to be shorthanded to a certain degree against the Chargers and at the very least they're going to be banged up. So it's a concern because Marigos didn't play well. I thought, um, uh, Michael Kendricks did step up and play pretty well in place of Hicks and then Joe Walker came in. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be an issue against the Chargers, which I think is uh, a tough game anyway. I think that has a bit of a trap game written, written all over it. I agree with that. It means it kind of, you know, off of a big win of a division foe with the emotion that it's a weird spot to go out to Los Angeles. And we'll end with this. Um, Ice tweeted us, Matt, and we'll end with this one for this week's reaction show. We have the potential to be a really good team. We just make silly plays that ruin, ruin momentum. So off of that, Matt, and we'll go to LA to wrap this up. What's the potential now? I mean, we watched this team for three games. Have you changed your thought process on how good they could be? Is it the same? Uh, two and one. They got two wins over the division. I mean, you could, if you're going to pick two and one to start the year, you couldn't have drawn it up any better for the Eagles to get the two wins in the NFC. What do you think of this team now through three weeks? Yeah, 2-0 in division play, 2-0 in conference play, and I really overestimated the Giants coming into the year, Joe. I think it's a legitimate two-horse race in the NFC East between the Eagles and Cowboys, and I think that there's a very good chance that the division might come down to the two games the Eagles play against the Cowboys. I thought Dallas played really well last night on the road against a, a, a pretty solid Arizona Cardinals defense. They win going away. Prescott plays well. Ezekiel Elliott has a good second half, not much going in the first half. I think that the Eagles are one of the top two teams in the NFC East. I think they're right in line for that nine and seven, maybe 10 and six type of record. But I think it all comes down to those two games they play against the Cowboys and the, the division could come down to New Year's Eve at the link. Yeah, I mean, as people that listen to this podcast and as Matt knows from talking to me every day, I was on defense while picking this team to win the division, but there hasn't been a game yet I've left this season where I've regretted that decision, and if anything, I feel better about it. I um, thought they'd lose to the Redskins. They beat them. I had them at 1-2 and two at this point of the season. They're 2-1. and one. I had them with 10 wins before. I think you saw on Sunday why they're going to win the division, which is they have the best quarterback in the NFC East. And when you have the best quarterback in the NFC East, you're, you're more than likely going to end up winning the division. That's what, what history shows. So I think Wentz has, has played very well. The defensive line uh, has been much better than I anticipated. Um, I was a little more skeptical than other people, but they've been dominant. And look, they beat the Giants. I'm not saying the Giants are world beaters, but I think they are slightly better than their 0-3 record indicates. And I think that Sunday showed why the Eagles are a winning team this year. They beat a team that needed a win when they didn't play well. Things Things weren't going great. They rebounded and they won the game. I, I'm, I think they're the best team in the division. I don't even really think it's close. Um, before the season, I said they'd beat the Cowboys twice, and I still think that. Well, if they do that, they're, they're certainly going to win this division. Uh, that would be, um, if they get those two wins, that would change things. But they go to, uh, I keep saying San Diego. You guys read to Los Angeles on Sunday, the, uh, the yeah. Eagles and the Chargers. 
Should be a fun one. You guys will have a, a preview podcast coming up later in the week. Uh, this was fun, and we appreciate all of the response to us and all of the response we get with the emails. Hashtag the No Huddle Show. Uh, and, of course, at the No Huddle, the, the no Huddle Show at njadvancemedia.com. Send them along. We'll do this every week after the game. Elliot, as always, appreciate you doing this. Yep. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Matt. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks to all of you for listening and sending in the reaction to the No Huddle Show. We'll talk to you next week after the Charger game.